Good morning again. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you all this morning. Talking about something very near and dear to my heart, which is the Word of God. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles with me this morning, we'll turn to Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9, uh, as an introduction to the Word today. I'd like to thank Brother John for his prayer. Uh, I very much appreciate the Lord's leading in this regard. I'll pray again before we get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your plans for our lives, which are better than our plans. We thank you for your word and direction, which is better than our will. Lord, help us uh, again to submit all that we have before you. Lord, to abide in you as you abide in us. To not disconnect ourselves from the vine, but to remain in your love, in your truth, and in your will for all of our days. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me to share the word today uh, in a way that would encourage and lift up and bring truth uh, to those who would hear. Lord, that you would open the eyes and the ears of the hearers uh, to align our lives by your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9, says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In Acts 2.42, we read that the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And in previous weeks, we have learned about prayer, to pray without ceasing and with the right heart, and about the importance of fellowship. For where one may easily fall away from the faith alone, it is much harder when you're rooted in a Christian body. We touched briefly on the apostles' teaching, understanding that these men were appointed by God and inspired to write his word, the scriptures that we have with us today. This morning, we'll be looking at the reasons we read, study, and obey the word of God. I'll begin with a presupposition. I'm going to assume that you, like me, have a desire to live after the example of Jesus, to walk in his way, to shine with his light, and to be, as the name Christian implies, a little Christ. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If we want to align our lives to be like Jesus, we need to have some standard to measure how close or how far we are from that goal. When constructing a building, the builder starts by surveying the ground to see how it compares to his standard of flatness. He then works to change the ground to meet that standard, so that when the walls begin to rise, they will remain straight and sturdy. If he were to build the walls without first leveling the foundation, they would not end up straight at all. Similarly, if we want to live in the straight and narrow, we need to first measure our lives to see how close or far we are 
than change our lives to fit God's standard. If we try to change his standard to fit our current lives, we will only end up crooked. What tools do we have then to measure and to adjust our spiritual foundation? While a builder might use a level or a plumb line, what he would call a rule, believers use something fancy people call the authoritative rule. Authoritative because it has the highest authority to direct our lives, and rule because it acts like a straight edge or ruler to show where we are not aligned. While everyone has a rule, the authoritative rule for each person's life may vary greatly, and there is vast disagreement on what it should be. I believe, as the title of this message may indicate, that the word of God, as inter interpreted correctly, must have the final authority on how we live our lives if we wish to truly be aligned to Christ Jesus. But first, we'll look at some other methods that people use. The first and most common rule is that of human reason. With the age of enlightenment, many have made human reason the self-sufficient source of authority. This rationalism says that it does not need divine revelation at all, and in fact, denies the reality of it. While our intellect was given to us by God and is a valuable tool in understanding and applying his word, when given authority over the scriptures to choose which of them, if any, we should obey, it does little to change the roughness of our foundation. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God, Psalm 10:4. Another internal source of authority is personal experience. The individual relates to the revelation of God in the arena of the mind, will, and experiences. The value of experience in grasping the revelation of God must not be overlooked, especially for Pentecostals, who place a great emphasis on the reality of a relationship with God that affects every aspect of the human being. As a youth pastor, I have seen no greater motivation for our young people to spend time in God's word and fellowship or prayer and worship than in those who have experienced the presence of God or witnessed a miracle in their life. On the other hand, experiences vary and the cause is not always clear. We can easily attribute to God something that we experienced, positive or negative, that may have come from our own heart. And we know from Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If we give our experiences authority over the truth of scripture, our foundation will be shaky and prone to change as often as our mind. The next authority is ecclesiastical. Ecclesiastical authority holds that the church itself must be the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. While this method attests to the rule of scripture, it gives the church leadership, pastor or pope, the final say in interpreting God's word. It is assumed that because they are in a leadership position within the community, that they are also in a proper relationship with God to communicate his truth to the church. Without in any way detracting from God-given leadership positions, it must also be observed that this approach to authority is open to a great risk of corruption, the misuse of power for selfish desires. Even in the best cases, this view means that the interpretation of scripture is done by a few people on behalf of the church, with the majority of believers unwilling to study the scriptures themselves. This is something we often run into with new believers, where they don't want to read God's word or study his scriptures, and instead just expect the pastor or the teacher to explain the word in all circumstances. And 
well, I don't want to detract from the wisdom of those who have an experience and understanding of the word and God's you know, spiritual gifts of teaching and instruction. I am a man, and it is easy for me to make mistakes. I can misquote scripture or misunderstand something, and it is imperative that all believers have a grasping and understanding of the word to test the scriptures and the teachings of those in authority. In Acts 17.11, the believers in Berea were credited as more noble than others because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't just take as gospel the things that their leaders said, but in fact corroborated and try to get an understanding as well. That's why I'm so fond of pushing our students to read the word on their own, to give them homework to do, uh, and that we read the word together and not just take someone's word for it. A similar view, known as theological authority, looks at the doctrinal confessions or creeds of the community as large as the source of faith and practice. Throughout the history of the church, many statements of faith, such as our own 12 fundamental truths, have been adopted and used by believers to affirm the central tenets of their faith. While there is value in these creedal statements because they serve to focus the attention of the worshiper on crucial elements of belief, there are considerable variations across Christian denominations in secondary matters of faith and practice. To the extent that these creeds align with the Bible and serve to explain its truths, they are valuable. However, when it replaces scripture as the foundation for believers, we run into the same issue as with ecclesiastical authority, that the wisdom of men replaces the wisdom of God. Lastly, canonical authority holds that the biblical materials as contained in the canon of scripture are God's authoritative revelation, that the Bible speaks to our beliefs and lifestyle with clarity and finality. I believe that the Bible has the authority to direct our lives and is clear in the basic truths that it presents. As 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 reads, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Statements of the church and the teaching of its leadership are valuable aids in interpreting and applying the Bible. The experience of individuals, especially those which are prompted and directed by the Holy Spirit, and human reason also help us to understand and to relate to the Word of God. However, the Bible must be given the final say over all of these in our lives and must be permitted to contradict and to correct areas where they differ. With God's word as our authoritative rule, the foundation of spiritual lives may be made level and fit for him to build upon. There are some who might argue that the Bible does not have authority to rule our lives, that we must trust the red-letter words of Jesus alone or the leading of the Holy Spirit, or that the Bible is inspired by God, but that the versions we have today have been changed to the extent that they are no longer reliable. This is especially popular with groups such as Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, and is always accompanied with, but we have the true word of God given to a prophet or returned Messiah that exists only within our group. To combat those claims, we will look at some good reasons to trust the Bible as our authoritative rule. First of all, there's a claim that the Bible is true because the Bible says that it's true. While the Bible does indeed say this, this argument is also made by every knockoff group. In the Book of Mormon, the author Joseph Smith writes that there will be a prophet, Joseph Smith, who will be given the true word of God. 
Similarly, in the Quran, Muhammad writes that there will be a prophet, Muhammad, who will be given the true word of God. The difference, of course, is that the Bible is the inspired word of God and was created by our creator to give direction to his creation. While the knockoffs rely on this self-evidential system as their sole source of authority, the Bible has supporting evidence that also attests to its authority. The first, and perhaps most convincing, is that of fulfilled prophecy. In Isaiah 44, 28, and 45, 1, Cyrus of Persia is prophesied as the one who will make it possible for the Jews to return from their exile, as he read in the book of Ezra. The thing is, Isaiah wrote about this, mentioning Cyrus by name, about 150 years before the events take place, before he was even born, before the nation of Persia really took off as a world-dominating threat. Similarly, Jesus fulfills more than 300 Old Testament prophecies about his earthly ministry. In 2 Peter 1, 16-21, uh, Peter writes, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received glory and honor from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of the scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That the one difference that the scripture of God has between it and all other holy books is that it's written by the actual God who knows the future, who knows all things, and who lay in existence all things. If you've ever watched uh, potentially a television show or a series of movies, uh, sometimes in addition to the plot of each episode, there's what they call a, a canonical plot, an overarching design where all the little threads and loose ends tie together and wrap up in the final product. A bad example of this is the Star Wars movies, which were made by a few different authors and don't really have anything tying them together other than that space wizards exist. But the Bible, despite being written across 1,500 years by 40 different authors, carries in its entirety the story of our Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, of prophecies of existence, the teachings of his time on earth, and the revelation of his return. And the only reason that this is possible is because across that time, across those authors, there's one source, which is, of course, our Heavenly Father and his Holy Spirit inspiring each of those humans. And this brings us to the second difference between God's word and the other holy books, which is its origin. For the Bible is not a single book, but a collection of 66 books across 1,500 years of history. Yet through each author's individual personalities, experiences, and writing style, we get a revelation of our God and his character and instruction without major contradiction. While there are some variations today on individual spelling or word choices, which can be attributed to copyist error, across every one of the thousands of copies of the Bible, the message and content remain consistent. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, 
Not the smallest portion will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew 5.18. In addition to its origin, another evidence for the Bible is its endurance. For despite heavy opposition since the first century, over two billion copies of the Bible have been created across more than 700 languages. Discoveries in history, archaeology, and science confirm the truth of God's word rather than refute it. The Dead Sea Scrolls, found in 1947, include around 900 documents, including every Old Testament book, with the exception of Esther, that are dated from the time of Christ back to 300 BC. Professor Gleason Archer, an expert in Egyptology and Semitic languages, commented on the Dead Sea Scrolls' copy of the Book of Isaiah, saying that they proved to be word-for-word -word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible and more than 95% of the text. And the 5% of variations consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. They do not affect the message of its revelation in the slightest. The explanation is simple. God wants his people to understand his will for their lives. While he gives us a free will choice to follow him, wholeheartedly or not, to those who do wish to align our lives to his plan, he has given a book of instruction. His book has withstood all opposition and stands out among all imitators. God has ensured the accuracy of his word for all time so that his followers in every age can trust it as the standard by which our choices are measured and moderated. For the word of God is unchanging as he is. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not a human to change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Numbers 13, 19. It'll be a bit of a short message today, but as we close, I would like to leave you with this advice. This is not my own, but the design of the architect in our lives in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. And in the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will, not, I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. We were discussing the Holy Spirit this morning, and one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is to bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus has spoken. That in addition to given, being given God's word, we are given many tools to understand it and to interpret it, to apply it to our lives, and to remember it in the times of struggle and hardship. Jesus warns his followers that they will face persecution, that they will be dragged before the judges and forced to, to attest to their faith or to deny Christ. When we do so, he gives us this encouragement. Do not fear when you are dragged before the authorities what you will say or what you will speak, for the Holy Spirit will give you in those times the words that you are to say. That when we read his word, when we study it, we meditate it, we memorize it, then it is available for us when we face a hard choice in our lives, a dilemma, 
when we face the opposition or persecution of those who don't believe, or even the discouragement and the temptation that comes through the attacks of the enemy and just the, the trials of this life, that we would not be overcome by the world, for we have overcome the world through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, that we did not love our lives unto death. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Let us allow it to have the final say in our lives, that we would not trust our own understanding, but would acknowledge you in all we do and allow you to direct our paths. Lord, that we would not allow our experiences to dictate what we believe, but that our beliefs in you, our foundation in your word, and our understanding of you, your Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would give us the proper perspective for our experiences. Lord, that even in the night, we could know that the day is coming, that even in the last days, we would believe that your Son is returning, that even in the times that we don't feel you or experience your presence or hear your voice, Lord, we can trust that you are constant, that you are never changing, that you are our rock and our sure foundation. Lord, you've said your word that the one who hears your word and does it is like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. That when the winds and the trials of this life come against us, we will stay firm on all that you've taught us. Lord, help us not to be like the foolish man who hears your word and just moves on with his life, who doesn't allow it to erect our lives, but trusts instead on his own whims and desires. Lord, for that person, when the trials arise, will fall away and will be destroyed. Lord, help us to allow your word to be the rule for our lives. Help us to align ourselves by your word, by the truth, the objective truth that you've given us. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit would give us understanding of your word. Lord, that we would given a, be given a desire and a joy for reading it, uh, to understand it, to apply it to our lives. Lord, that our joy, indeed, as it says in Psalms 1, would be, our delight would be in the law of the Lord. And on your law we meditate day and night. I pray your blessing over all gathered today, Lord, that we would depart this place but not your presence, that we would remain rooted and grounded in you, that we would abide in love in all that we do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.